chapter 1 Kings 8. I'm going to begin at verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on the earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him. When you said, you shall never fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. O Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. When a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath, and he comes and swears the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on his own head what he has done. Declare the innocent not guilty and so establish his innocence. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave to their fathers. Now let's jump to verse 46. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to his own land, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their conquerors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen, the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause, them, cause their conquerors to show them mercy. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt out of that iron-smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people Israel. May you listen to them and whenever they cry out to you, for you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, O sovereign Lord, brought our fathers out of Egypt. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. 
Father, we hear this prayer of your king, Solomon. The desperation, the longing for forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, as we have read your word, as we listen to it, Lord, that you would give us the same desire to follow after you, the same passion to plead for forgiveness. Lord, for those who are here with us today who, who don't know Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the one who offers forgiveness, Lord, on this weekend in which we celebrate political independence, Lord, let them find spiritual freedom a freedom from sin by turning from sin and turning toward you. Lord, for those of us who, who declare Jesus to be our King, our Savior, the one who has forgiven us, Lord, let us live lives where our hearts are, are fully committed to you, where we walk in your ways and obey your, your call. Lord, we are desperate for forgiveness, and so we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Mary Johnson received the horrific phone call. Her son was dead. At only 20 years old, her only son was in an argument at a party and shot and killed. She was devastated. A few days after the shooting, the killer was arrested, a 16-year-old young man. He was tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 years. Mary says she thought of him like an animal who needed to be in a cage. She only went to court because she was given the opportunity to make a, a victim impact statement as the mother of the murdered man. She knew the Bible commands forgiveness. And so she pled for justice to be served, but, but she ended her statement by saying, I forgive him. A mother forgiving the murderer of her only son. See, these are those moments, those news stories that remind us of the power and the significance of forgiveness the great cost to forgive someone who has wronged you. Well, you heard it, even as I, I read only a portion of this chapter, only a portion of Solomon's prayer, you, you heard that repeated theme, that desperate cry of the king for forgiveness. The God himself would hear from heaven the God being present among his people in the temple would, would having seen the, the people's actions, that he would listen and hear them. And when they turn, when they turn from sin and turn toward God, that he would forgive them. Because the temple is meant to be a place of forgiveness. And so as, as we think about forgiveness this morning, looking at this chapter, 1 Kings 8, we, we see first of all the need for forgiveness. The very fact that we are here in the temple should remind us of that fact. We, we've seen in the chapters leading up, up to this chapter, the building of the temple, the, the grandeur, the splendor, the, the magnificence of this temple, the holiness of God, the angels etched in the doors, the angels who stand in the holy of holies. The temple is a place of God's presence and therefore God's holiness. And so when sinners arrive, how do they come? 
They don't casually waltz in, but they bring a sacrifice, a perfect and pure, unblemished sacrifice. Blood is shed, and the priests enter the temple. See, the temple is a place of forgiveness. That was the very purpose of the sacrifices. And, and on this day, no one would have been able to forget it. Remember what we saw last week at the beginning of this chapter, back in verse 5. As the people are, are coming up to the temple, we're, we're told that, that they sacrificed so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. Because this is a place of forgiveness. Blood must be shed. We'll see it again at the end of the chapter as, as there's a summary. You can, you can look there with me at, at verse 62. A reminder that this, the temple is a place of sacrifice, a place of forgiveness. After this prayer, after blessing the people, we read at the end of the chapter a summary. Verse 62, the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats, so the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. See, the bloodshed at this place would remind you that, that there is a desperate need for forgiveness. And, and there's that repetition of in, in Solomon's prayer itself. You heard it. I, I didn't read all seven of the petitions of, of Solomon in this prayer. But in, but in each one, we, we have that phrase where he, he cries out to God and says, Hear from heaven. He recognizes that this, this temple that they've built, this is the earthly dwelling place of God, but God cannot be contained. You heard that in his prayer. Even the highest heavens, all of, all of the created universe is not big enough to contain God, let alone this little temple. And yet he cries out to God, God, when we come to this temple, when we ask for forgiveness, when we plead, then hear us. And repeatedly you also heard that, that description, hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people. It's the repeated refrain of the king. It's the theme of the passage, hear and forgive. Now, this chapter also shows us the, not only our need for forgiveness, but the universality of forgiveness. Some of that is just seen in that, that repetition of the king. In any circumstance we find ourselves in, Lord, whether we're here in this land or we're off in exile, whether things are going well for us or we're under attack, whether we have peace or we are at war, in any of those moments, Lord, when we come to you and cry out, hear and forgive. But, but one of the petitions forces us to see the universality of forgiveness. Look with me at, at verse 41. I jumped over this in our, in our reading, but, but we focus on it here. In verse 41, this petition, Solomon says, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name. You see, Solomon is reminding the people in this prayer, the people that listen, this temple is not merely for us, the chosen people of God, the nation of Israel. Remember, this temple is a temple for the nations to hear the truth. And so Solomon says, as for the foreigner, and then it continues in verse 42, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Now this is a surprising petition. The others are, are somewhat selfish. 
right, the king, the mediator, the one who stands between God and his people is, is begging God, forgive us our sins. But now the king stands and asks, and anyone else who comes to this temple, from whatever tribe, whatever nation, whatever distance they have traveled, our enemies, because he's already spoken of the enemies, he even reminds the people of the danger of the coming exile if they turn from God. Even when those foreign nations, when the foreigner comes here, when he prays to you, hear him. See, you, you, you might have the feeling that, that biblical faith, Christianity, is a very narrow religion, that only people who believe in this one true God find forgiveness. And, and yes, it is. God himself is the one who has, who has shown us that this is the way. God is the one who has provided Jesus the only sacrifice for us. But in that exclusivity, there is an extravagance of grace. As the gospel is meant, not just, not just today after the time of Jesus, but from the very beginning, the people of Israel were meant to make the name of the Lord, Yahweh, the rescuer, known among all nations. And so this exclusive gospel, yes, there is only one way to be saved. It is through Jesus. But this exclusive gospel is extravagantly thrown to all the nations so that anyone who comes, enemy or friend, from near or far, everyone who comes has, the, has the, the, the petition here that when we pray, God will hear us. Because this temple was not meant merely for Israel's blessing, but this is fulfilling the, the promise given to Abraham, that the choosing of the sons and daughters of Abraham was meant to bless the whole world so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name. See, that's why, as, as we've already talked today about missions, about training our students with the hope of the gospel, we, we train them, we train ourselves to have a bigger vision of, of the gospel than just what happens here in this church. We want them to think about their classmates as those that need to hear the gospel, their teammates, their bandmates, their, their neighbors, their family, but also that the nations of the world need to hear the gospel. This gospel is spread through us as a church to the nations because this offer of forgiveness is universal. And so then what is the, what is the pattern of forgiveness? We're told in the, in the longest of the petitions, it's, it's the last one, which begins in verse 46. We're told that, that the people, the people will have to repent. They will have to turn back to God. See, repentance is a, is a, is a biblical word that, that we need to understand. It is, instead of going my own way, chasing after the things I want, the sin that I want, it is, it is to turn from sin and to turn back to God. See, in creation, you and I were meant to be in perfect relationship with God, but, but in our sin, we have turned our backs on God. Now, some of us have made that turn very slowly. Some of us have done it very quickly, and we've made sure he knew it as we were walking out the door. But all of us in our sin have turned from God, and so, so you hear it throughout, this, throughout these prayers. We saw it in verse 33, when, you're, when your people Israel, when they turn back to you and confess your name, you see, that's what repentance is. It's turning from sin, turning back to God, confessing that he is the rescuer. We see it clearly then in verse 47. 
if your people have a change of heart, if they change the things that they most desire, they turn away from them and turn back to you, then hear from heaven. Verse 48, if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul, if they pray toward you, then hear them and forgive. You see, of all the petitions, the fact that that Solomon keeps coming back to this need for forgiveness, it's a reminder to us that our biggest problem, your biggest problem, is sin. Your biggest problem is your rebellion against God. I mean, we could list the daily crises we face, the the relationship struggles, the, the struggles at work and in the home struggles in our community. We could, we could list lots of problems, but at the core, when we, when we boil it down to the, to the biggest problem each of us faces, our greatest problem is sin. See, in some sense, it should surprise us that Solomon's prayer focuses so much on repentance and forgiveness. I mean, if there was one day of the of the year, one day in Israel's history where we could just celebrate. Like, can't we just set aside all this negativity? Can't we just set it aside? Let's celebrate what's happening here. God himself, the king of the universe, has visibly descended from heaven in a cloud and is living right here with us. Let's throw a party. You know what? And We can deal with the problems another day. But that's not what Solomon does. Because the very presence of God, the promise of God right here in their midst is a reminder to the king that the the access to God they are desperate for, the, the thing that will keep God, keep them far from God, is their own sin. And so again and again in this prayer, on this day of celebration, it's a it's a desperate plea, a confession to God. God, when your people turn from you. But then when they turn back and ask for forgiveness, hear, hear us from heaven and forgive us. See, the king is teaching the people to take their sin seriously. And remember, I've said that chapter 8 is is here the high point of the book of 1 Kings. This is the high point of of, of really 1 and 2 Kings. The, the, The people are here at the at the temple with God present among them, the king leading them in a prayer of confession. And we'll see in the coming weeks Solomon's sin turn him far from God and then the kingdom be ripped apart and the sons of Solomon and the the usurpers to the throne in the north turn further and further from God so that what Solomon prays, looking forward to acknowledging that there is a captivity to come, will come. But this is the high point of these books. And it's a reminder to us that sin is serious. We need to ask for forgiveness. Do you take sin this seriously? I mean, just stop and think. You have, perhaps in your summer schedules, certainly those of you who are students have a little bit of extra time. How have you filled your time? Like, if if we just looked at your leisure, your pleasure choices, would you would you say that you're, you're taking sin seriously? Or do you just consume whatever is thrown at you, whatever's on the screen? You're just comfortable with it because everybody's talking about it. Everybody's watching it. Or perhaps we do it in our own hearts. We, 
we don't take sin seriously when, we, when we're confronted with our own sin. We have a friend, fellow believer, a family member who will, who will point out our sin and we get quickly defensive. Or even we've entrenched ourselves in a pattern of sin and, and we, we say to ourselves, or sometimes we even say it out loud, I've heard, it, I've heard some of you say this. I've thought it myself. I know God doesn't want me to do that, but God will forgive me afterwards. See, it's a presumption on God's forgiveness. Yes, God has the power to forgive all of your sins, but when you willfully go into sin, presuming upon a a coming forgiveness, then you're not taking your sin seriously. Or think of the way that you respond in, in conflict where you're very quick to magnify the failures of of other people and point those out, and yet very slow to see your own sin? Or do, do do your prayers follow this kind of pattern of begging God for forgiveness, of going through the the areas of your life, the different circumstances of your life, and asking God to expose sin in your heart? Asking God, pleading with God, fervently depending upon the forgiveness of God? Or is prayer a perfunctory thing that you can just get off your checklist? And really, that's all it is. It is just a checklist. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying you shouldn't be praying for for the the physical and and emotional and tangible needs of your, your family members, your family in Christ. But is your prayer as big, as desperate? as Solomon's prayer. See, the pattern of forgiveness is to repent, to turn from our sin and to turn back to God in faith. And so we see then, finally, the, the promise of forgiveness. Did, did, you, did you hear Solomon at the beginning of the prayer? How did he begin this prayer? O Lord God of Israel, O Yahweh, that's God's covenant name. When you see it in all, in all capital letters in your English translation, that's Yahweh, God's covenant name. The name he gave to, to Moses when he was going to lead his people out of, out of slavery to sin, slavery in Egypt. He calls him the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel. God is the God who keeps his promises. You, you hear it throughout this prayer. He, he says it right at the beginning in verse 24. You have kept your promise. And God is the one who who calls his people as as he ends this prayer in verse 53. He is the one who has called his people out of Egypt. We see it in verse 51 and verse 53, that promise of God's rescue. God is the God who promises forgiveness. Now, now I want to read one of the sections that, that we skipped. As Solomon concludes his prayer in verse 53, we we pick up in verse 54. We hear now the blessing that Solomon offers to the people. Verse 54. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice, saying, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May Yahweh our God be with us. 
as he was with our fathers, may he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to, to him, to walk in his ways, to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to Yahweh, our God, day and night, so that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that Yahweh is God and there is no other. But your hearts must be fully committed to Yahweh our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. You see what's taking place. The king gets up from his knees praying to God, and he turns and blesses the people. This kingly benediction poured out on the people. It's a, it's a prayer of praise to Yahweh, but it's a promise that God will forgive. He's telling us not one word that God has offered to us has ever failed. Every promise God has made to us has been kept. By his hand, his mighty arm, he is the, the promise-keeping God. And God will be with us. And it's a prayer where, where Solomon is, is asking not merely that the people would change their hearts, not merely that they would turn from sin, but it's a prayer asking that God would do that work. Look at verse 58. May Yahweh turn our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways, to keep the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. See, in the prayer, he's, he's, he's begging God, if we turn, if we turn, then forgive us. If we repent, then forgive us. But then he turns and he blesses the people and, he, and he's, he's asking God, he's pouring out the blessing on the people of God, God himself will turn our hearts. There's a promise of forgiveness here. It's, it's the promise that's picked up by the, the prophet Jeremiah in the, that, famous, that famous blessing that, that Jeremiah declares. This is Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant, the new covenant that God will make. And, and this is what Jeremiah 31 tells us. This is verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or, or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You see, Solomon, in blessing the people, recognizes that if it's up to us merely to summon the strength to turn, to sort of will it up within ourselves to obey, that it won't be enough. And so he's asking God to, to do something even greater than he has done in this covenant. It's the new covenant that, that Jeremiah prophesies, that there is coming a day when God will transform hearts, when he will take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh when he will raise those that are spiritually dead to new life. And who is the king who keeps the new covenant? It's Jesus. That's what he tells us when we come to this table. This is the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. Not merely where we're told to turn, but where our hearts are transformed. When we turn in faith, then we are given new life. Jesus is the king who pours out his blessing on his people. You see, for Solomon, they were, they were mere words. 
words of blessing. But for Jesus, it is much more than that. Because Jesus, as king, stands in the place of his people. He doesn't merely turn toward the temple. He offers himself as the sacrifice. His own blood is shed on the cross. See, the king, the king who blesses us is the perfect sacrifice. He is the king who fulfills that promise to be with us. That petition that God would hear from heaven We know it has been answered because Jesus has come from heaven to dwell with us, to prove that he is God with us. He has forgiven us. Mary Johnson, the mother whose only son had been murdered, stood in court and spoke words of forgiveness But then she begins pushing everyone away from her. This is what she says. I thought I'd forgiven him, but I hadn't actually forgiven. The root of bitterness ran deep. Anger set in, and I hated everyone. The bitterness, the hatred welled within her. For years, her son's murderer was in prison. And then Mary was confronted by the gospel of forgiveness again. And so she gains permission to go and visit her son's murderer. She describes the visit. Never having been to a prison before, I was so scared that when I got there, I just wanted to to walk away. But when O'Shea came into the room, I shook hands with him. And I said, I don't know you, and you don't know me. You didn't know my son, he didn't know you. So we need to lay a foundation to get to know each other. She says, we, we talked for two hours, and he admitted what he'd done. I could see how broken he was, how sorry he was. And at the end of that meeting, for the very first time, I was genuinely able to say that I forgave O'Shea. He couldn't believe how I could do this. And before I left, he asked if he could hug me. O'Shea served his sentence and was released from prison. Mary keeps in touch with him, helping him contribute to the community. Actually, she's close to O'Shea. She talked to her landlord and got him an apartment in her own building, the apartment next door to hers. Their doors are separated by less than a foot. Her forgiveness brings him near. Solomon prayed that God would forgive his people, that God would live with his people. Jesus forgives. He's moved in next door. 
Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are a people who need your forgiveness. And so, Lord, as, as we have read in your word, as we see in our own hearts, Lord, expose to us our, our need to repent, to confess our sins, to turn back to you, to turn from sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, do that work in our hearts even now. Transform our hearts. Give us the, the ability to confess our sins and to trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that he is our rescuer, our covenant king, the one who gave himself for us. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our rescuer. Jesus, the one who gave himself for us. Father, we, we pray that as we come to this table, we would be blessed. Lord, we pray that as we, we gather after the worship services this morning in fellowship at the picnic, that, that we would be able to encourage one another to point each other to the hope of the gospel. Lord, we come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We come